you want to have an impact. You want to make a difference because that's who you are. And I think one of the biggest things that I want you to understand about the current situation you're dealing with is that it's probably not complicated. And I'm going to tell you what I mean by that, and it's going to change everything for you. That's what this show is about. Let's go. Hey, welcome to episode two of the podcast, It's Not Complicated, where I'm going to help you see and identify complexity in your organization and create a blueprint to activate change. I'm your host, Chris Anibro, and I'm the head of organizational design at Intentional Futures. And in this episode, I'm going to talk about how to assess and approach organizational culture and culture change. This is one of my favorite topics to talk about and favorite challenges to engage in with organizations. So it's going to be a good episode. Uh, and they say your business can't outperform your culture. And if you're not managing your culture, then it's managing you. And I think that's pretty true. We see that time and time again. So when it comes to culture building, I've been a practitioner, I've been a consultant, and I've either led or facilitated the design of culture for changes that include improving DE&I, employee engagement, agility, innovation, accountability, and high reliability. And so when I got started, I was taught an approach that is, I think, fairly common and accepted as a way to go about this. And at a high level, it sounds like this. You do an assessment, you gather data, you probably run surveys or focus groups. You use that to diagnose and set priorities. You create targets, you build action plans, and you track your progress. That probably should sound familiar. It's what I call the assess, analyze, and action plan approach, which I feel is is pretty outdated now. But, you know, what I learned really quickly is that unless my goal was to get a certain number of people through a training or implement a new HRIS system, I was kind of making a lot of assumptions about what would really move the needle with change. So, of course, you know, we'd be excited as a team because we'd have these wins. But, you know, typically you're going to get wins because there's always low hanging fruit when you get started. But often things wouldn't improve as much as we wanted or things didn't improve fast enough or the conditions changed on us and our plans weren't relevant anymore. And sometimes even with our detailed plans doing all this great work, we'd run a new survey and then, you know, we'd see that scores or sentiments really hadn't changed or they didn't change as much as we hoped. And so, of course, we'd explain it away and come up with reasons that led us to seek better ways of doing the same thing, right? Uh, we needed more data. Uh, we needed better data. We needed more focused surveys. We needed to pulse our surveys with greater frequency. I remember that one. We needed a better assessment tool. We needed more leadership buy-in, et cetera. It's just this big laundry list of things. And, you know, it was really just more of the same, you know, assess, analyze, action plan. And, you know, uh, we spent our time, we spent our money, we spent our energy, our passion, and sometimes our precious leadership currency, which was really you know, our people's trust in us on new ways to understand and impact the change. And, you know, at the time for me, this, this left me feeling disillusioned. I was tired. I was fatigued. I was felt lonely sometimes at work. Um, I felt discouraged about making a real change and a lasting difference, which is, you know, what I was about. And not to mention, I felt some anxiety. You know, I, I felt as a leader that I was on the hook for moving the needle on some of this performance. And so I got to tell you, one day I was at home and I took a day off. I was taking a mental health day for myself. I was like, I just need to get away. And I was feeling really sunk with the change that I was leading. And it, it wasn't going the way I thought. And I didn't understand why. And I just was asking myself all these questions. You know, I was just kind of like in that place. I was like, am I, 
Am I letting people down? Am I an imposter? Should I be in this role? Maybe I'm not ready for it. Maybe I don't know what I thought I did. Maybe I really don't know what I'm doing. I was like, gosh, I don't understand. Like we agreed to all these changes and everyone's enthusiastic. Like what's going on? Like, why aren't we getting the results that I know is possible? Uh, and then I remember I was in the kitchen. I was sitting at, you know, my kitchen table and, you know, I was pushing some crumbs around that the kids had eaten and left laying on the table and I was getting ready to drink a cup of coffee and I had my creamer and I, I, I spilled this tiny bit of creamer into the coffee and I just watched it, you know, like a zombie. And all of a sudden, like this light bulb went off. And I don't know if you ever have those moments when you make a connection and it opens up like a new way of scenes. Well, I was having one of those moments where, you know, I hadn't thought about something this way before, but uh, all of a sudden, like, you know, all these things kind of flooded in my head and I was like, oh my gosh, okay. So I'm watching this tiny drop of creamer mixed with the pitch black coffee and, and this tiny little nudge, you know, from the creamer, I saw this new pattern being instantly created and I was like, huh. And I realized like that cup of coffee was altogether different now from the original pure cup of coffee I started with. And the change was permanent, right? There was no way of returning to the first pattern. I couldn't compartmentalize the change. I couldn't suck the creamer out and bring it back to its original form. Like this was a new irreversibly changed cup of coffee. Like it was, it was different, right? So I ran out and I found this article downstairs that I'd been reading about complexity science and looked at this little graphic in the middle of the article and started to draw these distinctions between what they called causal systems and complex systems. And I talked about this in my last episode. And of course, I'll just give you a quick recap. Causal or complicated systems, you know, they're knowable. You can build them, you can deconstruct them, you can root cause and isolate parts that need to be fixed. And, and think of them like a, a wristwatch or a car engine. These are cause effect systems. You can actually fix them, right? But complex systems, complex systems are unknowable. Uh, you know, culture and communities are complex systems, right? So they keep a direction. But because of the constantly changing relationships between the parts or the actors, they have these emergent properties to them. So they surprise us, huh? right? So think weather, think a six-year-old, right? At the time I had one, uh, you don't fix a weather, you don't fix a six-year-old, you know, you can only influence them or learn how to be flexible and adjust with them. But it takes a lot of interaction sometimes to learn and adjust. And, and I was like, that's it. Like we're approaching culture building and culture change using these like outdated cause-based techniques and thinking when we needed to be taking a complex approach. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's huge. Change isn't this controllable process. So why are we creating action plans to execute on? Just listen to that language. We kick off, you know, and drive the levers of change and execute. I was just like, oh my gosh, this is all about like, this is all about like having, you know, plans to fix something when you can't fix it. We need to interact with this culture and learn from it. And, and, you know, it sounds kind of back of the napkin to say, but like how we were approaching it wasn't that way. Like I couldn't necessarily control what happened with that drop of creamer, for example, in my coffee, but I could observe it and then take new actions to create the flavor or the color that I wanted, which by the way, I did. And it was delicious. Uh, but, you know, the lean thinker in me wondered like, okay, now how would I do like my culture change differently? Like what's next? What's next? You know, and I had whiteboards and I'm just writing feverishly on it. And, you know, it's, I, I'm thinking faster than I can write. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I had like all these crazy drawings that looked like a beautiful mind. I wish it was like, actually like that, but it probably looked more like gibberish to somebody else. And, but I thought about this and I wondered like, what if we made small changes that we could actually learn from instead of taking these large actions? And, and what if we could scale, not the changes, but like, 
you know, scale, like who's involved and have lots of people making lots of changes within their own teams, instead of just creating these project teams that operated outside of like normal work. Right. And, and I was like able to actually like watch the creamer and how it changed things. And then I wonder like, well, what if when we did all these tests and experiments with all these different people, we had a way to collaborate and align on these ideas and changes, you know, and see the impact. So what if we had like a model or a map or some kind of visual, like not not a roadmap, right? Like, again, there's that complicated way of thinking. We have this roadmap. We have this noble change where we're going to kick things off and, you know, we're going to move through like, you know, these set changes. No, like what if we had like a map of the system uh, that I was interacting with, kind of like a weather map, right, to help me understand things. And, and, and like that was like, you know, my big idea. And so I started messing around with this idea of like, what if I created this culture map? What would it look like? A, a model to help me and try it like all these different ways. And I was referring to all of the different um, complexity science and social sciences that I learned. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever used, for example, like a process map, but if you have, you know, that you can map a process at a really high level, you know, we call it a value stream map. And then you can focus on certain parts of, of the value stream, like one box, and that's the process. And that's a process map. So you can map at a lower elevation. Uh, and the idea is that these maps actually connect with each other. They're fractal and they inform each other, but they're relevant, but they're different parts of the process and different teams might be working on them. And so they help you like understand um, how things might be connected. And, and so I started connecting, you know, that idea to this and creating this culture map and its mapping process in a similar way. So we could actually map at an organizational level, but all the way down to, let's say, the team level and make parts of those systems and those structures that were influencing behaviors visible to everyone. And that's what I thought was really important about this. And I was like, wow, I tested so many iterations of this over like the next six months. And we finally, like, I was in this workshop and it's just, it was like, this is it. Like, it was like night and day, like everyone got it. We finally like had refined it and we keep tweaking it today. Um, but, but, you know, it is like 99% the same form. And, and we had these team members with these post-its mapping their system and they were mapping out the rituals and the routines and the practices and the processes and the storytelling and the artifacts that they thought, you know, were really important to actually influence the ways of working and the ways of communicating and the ways of making decisions. Um, and, and we could actually like then see like the relationship between these things and where things were breaking down. And I was like, oh my gosh, like this feels really different. Like this is a totally different way to assess and to build culture. And I was like, this, this is finally it. We were creating this clarity. We were creating alignment. We were creating excitement. Like I wasn't in the dumps anymore. This was doable. Like I was actually, and in the process, we were developing advocates for change, which I thought was so cool. And as we got going, you know, we started to, you know, engage in these tests of change. We started to realize that we were building new habits around sensing and experimenting. And that's really cool. Like it wasn't about trying to build buy-in anymore around ideas. It was about building evidence. And people could say like, here's what works for whom and, and under what conditions. And, and we didn't tell people, you know, I want you to be more adaptable or anything. We did it by constructing these models and then constructing tests and then constructing a rhythm for learning and accountability and inviting teams to constantly evaluate and improve and co-create. And, and in the process, we created an organizational system and structure that was adaptable. And I think that's really cool. Uh, you know, and we did it in a way where the teams owned it and they improved it and the leaders managed it and the system really reinforced how we navigated complexity to create these results. And so I was stoked. It led to like new takeaways. And so as I'm launching this organizational design practice, I'm excited to share with you like how we go about assessing culture and culture change, because 
I've used this approach to help so many other leaders and teams create results that they're seeking. So three things I'm going to share with you about assessing culture that I think are really important to understand where we're coming from. In my last episode, for example, I talked about three parts for a complexity that are really important. You're going to hear them mirrored here. So one, I talked about models over data in the last episode. So important here when you're assessing culture. Uh, because assessing culture is less about data and survey results is what I found. And it's more about helping teams construct a shared model of how the building blocks of their work experience enable or disable the outcomes that they're striving to create. And those building blocks are what we call your fundamentals. So your fundamentals, beliefs and behaviors, for example, and then the building blocks are, you know, how you facilitate the atmosphere to reinforce and amplify those beliefs and behaviors, your environment. So the artifacts and the, and the physical or virtual layout and the structures and processes that you engage in to create or deliver value. So, you know, we bring all of those people, things together and, you know, data and survey are great. I wouldn't say don't use them. I would just say don't over-index on them. So don't you know, over-index on them or solely rely on them. You know, uh, all they can tell you is what is happening, where are things occurring, or how people feel about something or situation, which is ephemeral. Uh, but they lack insight. And, and, you know, taking an assess, analyze, and an action plan approach isn't going to help you get there. What we want instead is to take a design test and adjust approach. So start by thinking about models over data. And, um, you know, I'll share with you the culture mapping um, model that we use. Two, test and learn about your culture ecosystem. So don't rely on data then to drive some kind of, you know, root cause analysis and action plan. You actually have to member continuously interact with this model. I talked about that. So you have to interact with the weather. You have to interact with your garden. You have to interact with your six-year-old to continuously, you know, learn and adjust. So that's what this is about. Test and learn about your culture ecosystem. So we make this model of the cultural ecosystem using this culture map because we need to understand how leaders and teams are engaging in culture building. That's really important. Is it happening intentionally or by default? So this helps us ask really focused questions with the team and it's all very visual. Uh, so, for example, we asked, are the beliefs and behaviors that are core to how you want to operate clear and explicit? So we're looking at that and the teams can really answer that question. And they might ask, well, what are those beliefs and behaviors? So they're not very clear and explicit, we might find. Um, are the rituals, routines and practices amplifying and reinforcing the core behaviors that you want to nourish your culture or not? That's really important. And if they don't know what rituals and routines are, we talk about those. Uh, they might find that they're actually missing rituals and routines or storytelling practices, for example. And so they need to be designed or, you know, they, they need to be redesigned, maybe. Um, we ask, what's the frequency at which people are engaging in these rituals, routines, practices, etc.? Are they frequent enough to actually influence behavior? Are they effective enough? Do they create enough meaning and connection to the kind of values and beliefs that you have? What's the scope at which these practices are penetrating teams? Are they on some teams sometimes, or are they on every team every day, right? So we're looking at those things. Who owns the process of culture building? Sometimes people will say, well, everybody. Well, that's great. Well, but what are the roles people play in that? Like, that has to be intentional. So who is invited to create and co-create and initiate new rituals and routines, for example? Who's invited to assess how well they're actually creating meaning and value for everybody? So that's really important. You know, are these, you know, routines, rituals, storytelling practices, for example, are they embedded in the daily work and the experiences of the team? Or are these things that are outside of daily work? So they're like only at like, 
you know, um, all hands meetings, or these are special reward and recognition things that happen outside of work. So remember, we're, we're really looking at what the daily experience is. Are these practices being constantly renewed as people and conditions change, right? We don't want stale um, ways of interacting with each other. So it really is important that folks understand that culture is an outcome. You can't work on culture. It's the result of daily experiences. And in an organization, our daily experiences are often informed by rituals, routines, systems, and structures that guide and reinforce how and who we interact with as we're on projects, as we're in meetings, et cetera. So we make all of this visual. And our map, it helps us see and then test things in a way that accounts for the complexity of managing a community. So really big deal. I'll talk a lot more. I'll go in depth on this in the next episode. And then of course, three. So the third thing that's really important when you're assessing uh, culture and culture change is make this a team-based sport. Well, I wanna make this a team-based assessment. So often the assess, analyze, and action plan approach is based on a small group that maybe invite participation of others, usually through maybe a survey question or a town hall or you know focus groups, but then they, they, they go back and they analyze and root cause the data and come up with interventions for improvement. And they're not bad. They, they're just... Um, they're just presumptuous and they're missing a lot of information. And so the culture mapping assessment process invites everyone to see and understand what is happening at their own level, within their own project teams, their department teams, their division teams, whatever that looks like, their leadership teams, so they can own the gap and own the way forward. And I'll talk more about how we do this again in the next episode. So this is the big idea, is relying more on models over data when you're assessing your culture, testing the ecosystem to learn about gaps and being team-based instead of project-based in your approach to guide lots of learning cycles that really never end and inform how you keep co-creating, responding, and striving towards new results and outcomes. And, and they come, which I think is really cool. So if you lack a way to measure your culture, if you lack data systems, don't despair. There's another way, and it's actually even more effective. So, and that's not, again, to poo-poo on data. I'm just saying, there is a very different way you want to approach complexity where you want to use your data very smartly. And so with that, in our next episode, I'm going to walk you through how we lead teams through our design workshop uh, and, and, and walk you through how we would create a culture map, create new rituals, new routines, et cetera, that you're not going to want to miss. It's going to be extremely ex insightful. So that's it for this episode. I hope that this was helpful. Never doubt what a cup of coffee can teach you. That's probably the last takeaway. Thanks for listening. And remember, the challenges you're dealing with, they're probably not complicated, but they probably are complex. So let's learn together. Okay, see you next episode.